The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. We're still in our Survivor Series, and you're going to see that over the next few weeks. Jeremy did a good job putting that together. Don't y'all agree? Uh, <clears throat> all right. <laughs> Some agree. That was kind of weak. <laughs> We're going to continue this morning. We're going to talk about how to survive conflict, uh, how to f- survive conflict. And uh, uh, next week, we're going to talk about how to survive marriage. Now, come back next week. Don't bail out. Uh, but we're going to talk about that in Ten Commandments about marriage. But today, surviving conflicts, I realize it's Father's Day, and uh, I'm glad to have all you fathers here, and I know that some of you are here visiting with fathers, and some have obviously gone. Uh, but we don't have any boutonnieres for y'all today, <laughs> uh, or corsages, or uh, uh, what did we give away on Mother's Day? Uh, carnations. Could have had carnations, which, Steve, I'm sorry if you'd wanted a carnation. Uh, but I do have a men's thesaurus here, and uh, this is all you get today. Men don't always say what they mean, and here's some excerpts from that, and... Uh, uh, when a man says it's a guy thing, he means there's no rational thought pattern connected with this, so you have no chance of making any logical conclusion of this. may be true. When a man says, can I help with dinner? He means white and dinner on the table. <laughs> uh, when a man says, uh-huh, sure, honey, yes, dear, uh, it means absolutely nothing. He's been conditioned for those responses already. So when a man says uh, it'd take too long to explain, uh, it means he has no deal, idea how it works. I think a woman might have wrote these. I'm not sure. Uh, when a man says, take a break, honey, you're working too hard, that means he can't hear the game over the vacuum cleaner. Uh When he says, that's interesting, dear, he means, are you still talking? (laughs) Uh, When he says, uh, you know how bad my memory is, uh, he means, I can remember the the song to the F Troop. I can remember the address of the first girl I ever kissed. I can remember the identification numbers on the first car I ever owned, but I cannot remember your birthday. (laughs) And uh, that's... (laughs) I've only forgot Denise's a couple of times through the years. So uh, when he says, uh, oh, don't make a fuss, I just cut myself, it's no big deal, he means I've actually severed a limb, but I'm not going to admit that I'm hurt. <laughs> uh, when a man, man says, I can't find it, that means it didn't fall into his outstretched hand, so I'm completely clueless. I know a woman wrote this at this point now. <laughs> Uh, When a man says, I heard you, it means I haven't the foggiest clue what you just said, and I'm hoping desperately that I can fake it well enough that you won't spend the next three days yelling at me. (laughs) A man might have wrote that. Uh, When a man says, you know I could never love anyone else, isn't that sweet? He means, uh, I'm used to the way that you yell at me, and I realize it could be worse. (laughs) When a man says on a shopping trip, you look terrific, it means please don't try anything else on. I'm starving. (laughs) 
And uh, lastly, when a man says, uh, I'm not lost, I know exactly where I am, it means that we're lost, we may never be seen again, and we have become survivors. <laughs> so uh, that, that'll fit in this morning. Men, that's all you get, so uh, I, I'm, I am glad you're here, and uh, I don't know what else to do. I know as a man, we don't make a big deal over stuff sometimes, maybe we should be bigger. If you would turn to Ephesians chapter 4, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to be there in, in about verse 25 here in just a moment. As I've already said a couple of times, we started this introductory uh, message last week, and what we dealt with last week was, what does it mean to be a survivor? We talked about there's a lot of different survivors, there's a lot of different ways we use that term. And we talked about the fact that the Bible never uses the word survivor, but the Bible uses the word overcomer, which means to pass over or to gain victory or to prevail in something. So when we look at this, how we're going to have victory, how we're going to prevail, how we're going to be an overcomer in times of conflict. And, and last week our, our subject was was something bigger than uh, surviving in an Australian outback. It was how do we survive our spiritual life, our spiritual walk? How do we become an overcomer in this world today? And we talked about that, and, and this morning we're going to move on to how to survive conflict. Now, I wish I could tell you that there's not going to be any conflict in your life. And, and sometimes you, you may hear that in a, in, a, in a pulpit, and I think it's maybe uh, meant well, but it's, it's completely wrong because... If you've lived any amount of time on this earth, you know that we're going to have conflict. And it's going to come in a, a lot of different ways. And, and uh, I want you to make sure that, that we understand it's not always easy to deal with conflicts. And it's not something that, that we always have. And the truth is we can't avoid all conflicts. But there are tools how to manage conflicts. And I think this is great that that we can go to God's Word and we can open up the Bible and we can find tools. We don't have to just come up with some ideal for a sermon or we don't have to just say, I need to put together some things to, to say this is how we survive. We can go right straight to God's Word and He says, hey, you're going to have conflicts and, and I have a program how you can survive those conflicts. I just wonder sometimes, we talked about this on uh, Wednesday nights a few, while, a few weeks back, some of, some of the illustrations maybe that I use that, that some of you don't, don't even know what I'm talking about. How many of you know the show Father Knows Best just by, wait a minute, let's do that differently. How many of you don't know the show Father Knows Best? Oh, my goodness. All right, Ronnie and Amy, y'all ain't that young now. <laughs> Father Knows Best. Who, who can name some of the characters? Ernie? That's the only one I remember. Who? Kathy? Who? Betty? I don't remember any girls. I just remember the boys. <laughs> oh, well, I remember him. <laughs> the father in this, uh, in this series, it was a television series, black and white, uh, was Robert Young. He played uh, the character Robert Anderson. And in this little sitcom... Uh, this father, there was always a problem came up. And during the, the, the running of this show, the, the show would start kind of like Andy Griffith, you know, and some problem would arise. 
And Father Knows Best. I mean, that's, what, that's where the title came from. So in this 30-minute sitcom, uh, the father would work through this issue and the children would learn some life lesson from it. And, and that was the whole, uh, the whole uh, gist of the show. Now, in real life, uh, Robert Young was leading a, he's living a troubled life. He, he dealt with all kinds of problems. He was an alcoholic. He was prone to violence. He was prone to depression. For decades, he struggled with the issue of suicide. So, so I think there's kind of a spiritual truth in that story a lot of times when it comes to people and Christians also. Because when we look at someone from the outside, we see a, a family and a smiling face and everything's wonderful, just like Father knows best. But when you get behind the scenes and you begin to look at families and you begin to look at people, we realize that they're deeply troubled a lot of times and they're dealing with problems and they're dealing with stresses and they're dealing with conflicts and we as your brother and sisters never know those things. So this morning as we think about this and we think about dealing with these conflicts, we're going to look at some techniques to manage those. And, and I want to start off in James. You don't have to turn over there, but James chapter 4, verse 1, James lays this out. He, he tells exactly where conflicts come from. Now, I want you to think about this before you discount it, okay? Before you say, I'm not sure I agree with that. He asks this question, where do wars and fights... Now, we can summarize those in conflicts without changing the word. Where do they come from? Where do the, he's talking to a church, and he says, where do, where do wars and conflicts come from that are among you? And then he asks this question, do they not come from your desires? And a lot of translations say your selfish desires for pleasures that war in your members. So... So what James is saying, he asks the question, he says, where do, the, where do conflicts come from? And he says, really, don't they come from our own desires, our own, our own selfish pleasures? Isn't that where conflicts start? Now, what I want you to do is I want you just to boil that over in your mind a minute. I want you to think about conflicts maybe that you deal with, and, and you may say, okay, when it comes right down to it, a lot of my conflicts are because of, of me. I mean, it's because of something that's not, it's my desire, it's my decisions, and someone else has a different desire and a different decision, so what do you have? Right there you have a conflict. So how do we deal with those things? Because we know they're going to come. Boy, oh, James, he just gets right down to the point, doesn't it? He don't beat around the bush. He don't, he don't uh, dress it up any way. He says, hey, this is where they come from. Think about this. And then when those two things come apart, their spark's going to fly. So, so we're going to look at ways that we can deal with that, and we're going to look at the letter to the Ephesians. Now, the book of Ephesians is a book of relationships. It really deals a lot with how to function with one another, and this, this, to this topic today is going to be with conflicts. <coughs> it covers just about every kind of relationship also. But look what it says. This is Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 25. 425 says, Therefore, put away lying, and let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and do not sin. And do, let, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, wrath nor give the devil a place, uh, or give the devil a foothold or a stronghold. 
Let him who is stealing steal no longer, but let him labor, working with his hands uh, to do what is good, that he may have something to give him who is in need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for the necessity of edifying, that it may impart grace on the hearers, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgave you. So Paul here, he, he begins the section of this letter to the, to the Ephesians with, with really with four conflict management steps, and that's what I'm going to deal with this morning, those four steps. And the first is this, speaking the truth. All right? Now, I'm going to add two little words to that, in love. Because what, Paul, what Paul's talking about, he's, he's talking about in love. He's talking about brothers and sisters. He's talking in Ephesians. He talks about husbands and wives and children that living as, as children of light. That's what he's talking about here. So, so he's dealing with these things from the aspect of love. So we need to speak the truth in love. Verse 25, therefore put away lying. Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. How to handle conflict, the first step is this. We need to just be truthful. We need, to, we need to speak the truth in love. Now, lying is, is deceptive to both parties, isn't it? If we get in a, in a situation, now, I keep going in my mind to a marriage situation. That's coming next week. Let's just talk about dealing with one another on a daily basis. If, if you're caught in a lie, what does that do? It, it begins to destroy that relationship, doesn't it? Whether it's between two men or a man and woman or a husband and wife or a father and his children, whatever it is, if we, if we fail to speak the truth, then, then there's, there's a, that's the beginning of a conflict. Now, guys, since it is Father's Day, I want to I I tell you this. Not every truth needs to be expressed, okay? Not every truth. I was thinking about some things like, uh, uh, this, this, this doesn't give us an excuse for unkindness. If your wife says to you, uh, how does my hair look? And you says, well, it looks particularly hideous today. That, that's probably not the good thing to say. So don't just say, well, Jake speak, uh, said speak the truth, and I'm going to speak the truth. If she says, hey, how does this dress look on me? How are you going to respond to that? You don't need to lie and say, well, I, that is the most beautiful dress. You, you might just say, well... Uh, you know, I'm not that fond of, of zebra colors, you know, or something like that, whatever it may be, because if, if you say, oh, I think it looks wonderful, what's going to happen? Every chance she gets, she's going to wear it for you. So, so we need to be careful. We need to speak the truth in love because lies are going to come back to haunt you. So I'm not going to give you any more ideals on that, but, but even in, even in uh, conversations between husbands and wives and friends, y'all remember I Love Lucy? You know when Ricky and Lucy made the, made the bet that, that one of them would, was going to lie before the other one or something along those lines, and boy, Lucy just let it go, didn't she? she, she every friend she had, she, just, she accused Ethel of, of singing like a moose or something, and uh, her best friend had the ugliest hat she had ever seen, and and that's not, what, that's not what Paul's talking about, but he's talking about speaking the truth to one another. Here's the second thing. We need to express anger appropriately. So we're, we're gonna, these all fit together like a glove. We're going to speak the truth in love, and then we're going to express anger appropriately. Look at verse 26. 
Isn't this interesting? It says, be angry. You would think if coming out of the Bible, it would say, don't be angry. It doesn't say that. You know why? We're going to get angry. You're going to get angry. Some of you might be angry right now, or some of you might be angry before the day's out, and if I'm still preaching at 1 o'clock, most of you are going to be angry. So, so it says, be angry, but do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Now, every, you may have the NIV doesn't say be angry, but nearly every other translation says be angry. I, I, I heard a story about a woman in the airport. She had the, the red-eye flight. It was around midnight. She was tired. She was also hungry, so she bought a box of cookies, a package of cookies. She sat down, and uh, she opened her bag, and she began to search around for a book. A man sat down next to her, and the next thing she knew, he had opened up the cookies and was eating one of them. She was upset. She was angry, but instead of create a scene, she thought, I'm not going to say anything besides he's only eating one. But then he took another one. And rather than have a row, the woman simply took one herself and looked at him, and she ate one herself. And then he took another one, and then she took another one. And this continued until there was only one cookie left. And the man took the cookie, and he looked at her, and he said, Well, there's one left. Do you want to split it with me? She was angry. She was furious. She grabbed it out of his hand. She threw it in her mouth. She grabbed her bag. And she boarded the plane. She boarded the plane. She sat down. She was still angry. She opened her bag again, began to look for her book, and there she found her box of cookies that she had bought. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, that could really happen, couldn't it? But think about how those responses were different in anger. She became angry. She, She didn't say anything, but she snatched something out, she gave all the looks, and the, the, the guy just said, oh, you know, hey, let's just split these, I guess. In, in your anger, do not sin. We all have a, a right to be angry sometimes, but let's think about that. Anger is dangerous, isn't it? I mean, anger really is dangerous. Are you with me this morning? Say, I am. Good. As we think about being angry and not sinning, uh, if we are angry, we're letting that, that sin get an upper hand in our life. And, and Paul lays out some things. Anger is, is largely a self-centered emotion. Think about that. Let's go back to James. What did James say? He says this anger comes from, from this selfish desires we have within us. And then when we, we think about our, our, where does quarrels come, and then we think about anger, we think about it really is a, a self-centered emotion, and it's a reaction to the fact that the world is not what we want it to be, or the situation is not what we want it to be. So it's our self-defense. And in its self-defense, it's self-serving. That's what anger is. I think for us to really uh, understand what, what Paul is saying here is we have to understand what anger really is, and it is our self-defense, and it's, it's self-serving, and it's something that we do really against ourselves. So there's a couple of things he writes here, three different things. First, he says, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the anger get in your, uh, the, the upper hand in your life. Here's the second thing he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, I, I've said this a lot of times. I've quoted this, and, and uh, we've talked about it as we've done marriage counseling and different things. But really, till I started studying this, this really means this. Do not 
nurse your anger. What does that mean? Paul says this, when we get angry, don't just stew around in it. Do you ever do that? Do you ever get mad and you're good and mad and three days later you're still stewing about it? I mean, you're still holding a grudge? You know, somebody comes in, you well, I'm still mad about that. I hadn't forgot that. You know, that's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about nursing anger. He's talking about keeping the pot stirring for several days. You know the problem with that? The problem with that is it ends up being resentment or bitterness. You know what the Bible says? It warns us don't let the root of bitterness begin to grow within you. If we're stewing in our anger, and if we're just keeping that anger, and we're, we're going day after day, and we're bringing up things day after day, all of a sudden, within our minds, that anger is turning into resentment and bitterness. And when we come to that, our anger is getting the upper hand in our life. It begins to leave, it begins to lead our thoughts. It begins to lead what we do. Here's the third thing he says. Don't give the devil a foothold. So what Paul is saying here, he's saying, okay, in your anger, do not sin. Don't nurse your anger. Don't let the sun go down and wake up the next day still stewing in your anger. Because when you do that, you're opening the door for Satan to get a foothold. Now, if we're talking about in marriages, think about this. You're angry. You, you have the blow up. You go, we're going to talk more about that in just a moment. You go. You, you stew on that today. You stew on that tomorrow. You stew on that the day after. And all of a sudden, you're, you're, you're getting some bitterness about the whole situation. And what does that do? That opens the door for Satan to get a little toehold in that relationship. And when he gets that little toehold in that relationship, he, he can begin chipping away at it. He, he can begin saying, hey, remember this. Don't forget this. And, oh, by the way, you need to remember that. And there's danger there in that anger when we let it go on. So what do we do? How do we get rid of it? How do we get it out of the door quickly? There's three things we can repress it. In other words, we just swallow it. We don't, we don't, we don't do anything with it. Well, that's not good. That's dangerous. The second thing, we can express it or we can process it. And that's what I want to look at. How do we process anger? Now, you may say this sounds kind of silly. I hope it doesn't because I think this is the key to not letting the sun go down on your anger. You begin to process What's this all about? So the first step to that is, is stop and analyze it. Have you ever been mad at somebody and a few days later you're still mad at them? But really you don't even remember what you were mad about? You just remember I'm still mad and somebody goes, what are you mad about? Well, they, uh, oh, I remember. That, and you begin to explain. You have to think about it. I can't even remember, I can't even remember what I'm mad about. So, so the first step is stopping and really analyze it. Here's a good question, I think, is, is this really worth it? I mean, is this really worth all I'm going to have to go through for this, for this anger? The second thing, when you're angry, you need to confess it. You need to be able to talk about that. Oh, isn't that sound terrible? Here on Father's Day, and we're talking, got men here, and we're going, I don't want to talk about this, and, and I, I, just, I would rather just suppress it and let it go on. But, but it's good to talk about those things and say, hey, hey, this is, this is, this, that really made me mad, and, and to be able to say that. Now, now men, listen. Ladies are going to do this today. Amen, ladies? One or two. My wife probably is the one that said amen. I'm going to have to deal with this now. 
but but they, they don't mind saying, "Hey, I, I, this, this that really aggravated me." But usually, men, we ju- we just want to sweep it on the rug. You know what the problem with that is? That rug's going to blow up one of these days, and all that anger is going to be stored under there. And what's it going to do? It's going to come flowing out. So we're talking about not letting the sun go down on it. First, stop and think about it, analyze it. Secondly, uh, go ahead and confess it. Go ahead and say, hey, this is what I'm mad about. This is what we're doing. What do we have sometimes? Honey, what are you mad about? I ain't mad. <laughs> oh, okay, I'm sorry. You know, I thought look like you was mad. You know? No, I'm not mad. Just forget it. You know, that's kind of how we do, isn't it? That's how we deal with it sometimes. So, so let's deal with it. And, and thirdly, to defeat anger, we need to determine... Uh, to forgo vengeance. In other words, I'm going to get even. Okay, that's the way we operate in it. You made me mad, I'm going to make you mad. So if we're wanting to let this die at sundown, just forget about getting even. I mean, if it's that bad and if it's against your neighbor and your neighbor over there, you're saying, I'm going to, you know, he, he knocked my fence down, I'm going to go tear his gate off the hinges. Well, don't do that. And if it's that bad, the Lord says, hey, it's me to avenge. You know, I'm going to pay back. I'm going to take care of those things. If, it, if it's something that's, that's justified, that's a sin against God, he says, hey, let, let me deal with that kind of stuff. So, so we, don't, we, don't need to, we don't need to look out for vengeance. The fourth thing, go talk to that person you're angry about. That includes being able to apologize if you've done something wrong. But you know what's amazing to me? Sometimes somebody will be mad at you. You won't even know why. You'll speak to them and they'll, oh, yeah, well, whatever. You know, well, you're like, I did, I don't, I'm not sure what happened. Be willing to go and talk to that person. And finally, be willing to ask God to change your heart. Be willing to say, okay, God, I want you to change my heart. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 15.1. A soft word turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. I was thinking about this. Say it's your, uh, say your husband comes in and uh, he's crunching ice. And I don't do this. I made sure it was nothing that I did. So, uh, so uh, he's crunching ice, and uh, and you got you that just tears you up. But you flick your fingernails. Any of y'all do that? That. Any of y'all do that? That drives me up the wall. She don't have long fingernails, so she can't do it to me, you know. So, so what do you do? You're going to crunch ice. I'm going to flick my fingernail. What are you doing? You're, you're getting back, aren't you? You know that bugs him. Or maybe you might say, would you like me to get you some more ice where you can crunch it right here in my ear? You know, I mean, there's a lot of ways we can, we can respond to that. You know, there... Those small things, when we think about anger, what are we doing? If you look at those steps, if you analyze it, is it really worth this big, this big blow-up? He's eating ice, my goodness. He's eating ice. Go, you know, she's eating ice. That's better, isn't it? She's eating ice. Go outside. Do something else for a little while. Pour some hot tea in there for him and let it melt the ice down. Whatever, you know. Secondly, say something. Hey, that, that kind of aggravates me. Don't say, quit doing that stupid ice in my ear. You know, what does it say? A soft word turns away wrath. Talk. Finally, say, God, this just burns me up. It just aggravates me. 
just help me to get past this ice crunching deal. You know, as silly as that little thing is, isn't that kind of how we end up holding that overnight and weeks and months later? I got to move on. I'm running out of time. That goes right along with the third step. You know, Paul's saying we got to speak the truth in love. When we're angry, do not sin. And then here's the good one. Verse 29, watch what you say. Watch your words. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But the things that come out of your mouth, let them be good, necessary for edifying, that it might impart grace upon those who hear. We need to be honest. We need to acknowledge our anger. But being honest and and acknowledging our anger, that doesn't give us the right to use words that hurt others. And folks, when we're talking about putting this anger to bed, that's, that's the quickest thing that, that's going to keep that stirred up. Listen to what the Bible says again, Proverbs twelve eighteen: Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You know, you look over here at that passage we read, let no corrupt, that, that word corrupt there, This is what it literally means, putrid or rotten words. Let no nasty, putrid, rotten words come out of your mouth. We're talking about how to deal with conflict. I don't want you to forget that. So if we're wanting to deal with conflict, watch what you say. Don't Don't let putrid, nasty words come out of your mouth because they're like a sword. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Jesus talk about, taught about the significance of our speech in Mark chapter 7, 21 through 23. I'm not going to read that. He tells us that our words reveal what's truly in our hearts. In Matthew chapter 12, 33 through 37, he warns that even our idle words, even those words just, just spoken on in idleness, we're going to give account for. That's what God's word says. So we need to be careful about about those words that we use in order to deal with the conflicts of anger and in order to deal with conflict, we need to watch the words we use. Here's the, here's the fourth thing. This is the last thing. Put away the past. Put away the past. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you and all malice. A man was talking to a, a, a marriage counselor there, and, and he said, you know, every time... Uh, every time me and my wife get in an argument, she gets historical, and then we have to go from there. And he goes, wait, wait, wait. You mean she gets hysterical? I said, no, I mean she gets historical. She brings up things from years past. Put away the past. You know what? If you put that anger to bed, let it sleep. Let it lie. Let it die. Bury it. Put away the past. How are we going to do away with conflict? Put away the past. That's what Paul says. Let all that bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you, even malice. Here are the six things, these unpleasant attitudes, bitterness. That's a resentful spirit that that refuses to be reconciled, refuses to be brought back together. How did bitterness start in the first place? It started in the first place by nursing that anger. So Paul says this, here are some unpleasant attitudes. Put away bitterness. Don't have that spirit that's not willing to be reconciled. Put away wrath. That word is is thumos, and it talks about heat of passion or passionate outbursts. When we we are trying to deal with conflicts, get get rid of those those outbursts and those certain passionate arguments that just fly out of our mouth. 
I'm not always great on that right there sometimes. Sometimes, you know, I, I put my mouth in gear before I put my brain in gear, and, 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 it, and some things came. But if we want to deal with conflict, we need to be able to put those things away. An explosion outside caused by a feeling that's inside, that's what that word wrath means. The word anger means, anger means settled and sullen hostility. In other words, it's something that's within us that's building. The word clamor means getting excited and shouting at one another. You ever do that? Just shouting at one another. Paul says, get rid of that. You want to get rid of conflict, get rid of bitterness, that, that refusal to be reconciled, get rid of, of that heated, passionate arguments, get rid of that anger, that sullen, that setting with inside us, get rid of that shouting at one another, get rid of that evil speaking, and that's simply speaking evil against one another. And then the last thing is malice. That may be the toughest one. You know what malice is? I know my sister knows because my mama taught us a game called Spite and Malice. Have you, anybody ever played that game, Spite and Malice? It's played with cards, and you hold cards, and everybody holds cards, and, and you begin to lay out cards that others need to finish their pile, but you spitefully don't discard what they need. You have spite and malice towards that person because you're going to hold back what they need to advance. Well, when Paul talks about this in a, in a relationship, what he's talking about is plotting evil against another person. See, when you're playing spite and malice, that's what you're doing. You're plotting evil against the person you're playing against because you don't want them to win. But when you're talking about spite and malice in a relationship, and I'm not talking about husband and wife relationship, if it fits, and it fits, but in any relationship, what you're doing is you're plotting evil against that person okay in malice i'm gonna think about it. i'm gonna i'm gonna fill out a way to to get even i'm, I'm gonna fill out i'm gonna find out a way to to frustrate them and paul says if we want to deal with conflict we need to do away with malice and the last thing put away past hurts that's all under putting away the past past hurts be kind to one another tender-hearted forgiving one another even as christ forgave you every conflict needs to come to a conclusion it needs to come to an end it, it needs to it needs to be it needs to be finished up so those involved can move on if we are serious about dealing with conflict surviving conflicts paul says this is what we need to do and the last thing put away the past put away past hurts that we may be able to move on you know we're not called to uh, a life that's free of conflicts at all. We know we're going to have conflicts. And, and being able to, to deal with those in the world today, I think, helps us survive our world today. But I want you to think about Abraham. And I want you to think about the legacy that Abraham left. Now, in conflicts, if you have children in your home, what are you doing in your conflicts? You're teaching them how to deal with them, aren't you? Well, however you deal with them, if it's malice, if it's angry outburst, if it's bitterness, if it's wrath, if it's clamor, if it's evil speaking against someone, you know what you're doing? You're training just through your actions those child, and you know what they're going to do? Your children's going to carry on that legacy. Listen to what it says about Abraham in Romans chapter 4, verse 20 and 21. Abraham, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God but was strengthened in his faith, 
and he gave God full glory, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Now, you can go read that whole passage and you, you begin to understand what this is, that, that particular passage is talking about. But what I want you to see this is a- Abraham fully was persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. You know what God says about our forgiveness? In this passage we read, he said, we are to forgive others as he forgave us. You know, that's what it all boils down to. We can sit here this morning and we can say, boy, I get mad and, and you're saying all that stuff and, and uh, man, that's hard to deal with. Where did it come from? It comes from our own self. It comes from our own desires. And Paul lays out a plan that says, here how we can deal with our conflict. Would you bow with me this morning? And Father, I pray this morning as I just uttered a bunch of words today, Lord, that your spirit would bring them together within our heart. And Father, we all know the areas we deal with, whether it would be not speaking truths in love, whether it would be uh, just simply denying the fact that we have uh, issues in certain situations, Lord, whether we struggle with being angry and sinning in that, uh, in that moment of anger, whether it would be that, that bitterness or that wrath, or whether, whether it might be anger or clamor or speaking evil, or maybe even malice. Lord, I pray that one area that we most struggle with, I pray today that one area is something we would remember from today and we would begin to work on. And Father, the reason being is for your glory and for your benefit. Father, not to mention the... the the, the effects it have on the relationships we have with others, Lord. I pray that we would know in, in the midst of conflicts, and we're going to have them, that you've laid out a plan that we may diffuse a situation through following your directions and your instructions. Lord, I thank you for our time together. I thank you for the, the truth of your word. And again, I pray that we merely wouldn't be hearers of the word and so deceive ourselves, but we would truly be doers of your word. I pray now, Lord, that your spirit would continue to move within the heart of your people. I pray that we would respond to your wooing and during this time of invitation, and I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.